Hello, everyone. Welcome to this month's bonus podcast here for Patreon and YouTube channel members. I am Owen Likes Comics, and today I'm joined by a lovely special guest. I am joined by the wonderful, the illustrious Evan Von Doom. Evan, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. It's brilliant. A very aptly named Evan Von Doom as well, because today we're going to be chatting about the Fantastic Four. Cool. For those of you who might be new, we've had a bit of a surge in Patreon supporters and members in the last month. At the end of every month, I like to get together with a friend or a special guest and kind of chat about some of the topics we've covered on the channel. Obviously, this month's big video was looking at the cinematic history of the Fantastic Four, looking at the specifically looking at the Chris Columbus film that was going to be made in the late 1990s, what that was going to be, why it didn't happen, and how that kind of morphed into the 2005 Tim Story Fantastic Four that we all know and love. And then literally... So kind of peeled behind the curtain a little bit. I got that video done earlier than usual because I was going on holiday. I was right. I was on vacation in Rome, of all places, Ooh. trying to see as many landmarks from Fast and Furious 10 as possible. <laughs> and so the video was like ready and was sat, scheduled to go up like the day before we flew to Rome. So it was, I, I, I worked hard, I got it up. This was not a last minute job. And I did not know that they were going to drop the Fantastic Forecast while I was away. <laughs> and like the day before the video was scheduled to go up, as I'm in the airport about to board the plane home, they dropped the they dropped the the full cast and like the official concepts are they released of like them on Valentine's Day, which was wonderful timing on my part that I then like less than twenty four hours later had a video on Fantastic Four movies dropping. Like, <laughs> A lot of people in the comments suggesting I'm some sort of insider or that Kevin Feige is going to snipe me, uh, all of which are possibilities. So if this, oh, yeah. if this is the last time you're hearing from me, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> so I thought what we'll do today is kind of talk about the everything, our, our thoughts and feelings about the upcoming Fantastic Four movie, talk about kind of like think of it through the prism of like the long history of the Fantastic Four on screen. Lord knows it's been a rocky history, no pun intended. <laughs> And we've got some questions from members and supporters as well, uh, asking us things like our favorite Fantastic Four runs, uh, any stories from the comics that we think potentially could make for good adaptations, and kind of what, we, what we're hoping to see and what we're certainly not hoping to see. Mm. Uh, before we kind of finish the preamble, I should just say thank you for all of your continued support to all of the patrons and all of the new YouTube channel members. We launched that um, last month, and the support there has been really good as well. So if you're enjoying these kind of bonus podcasts and you're enjoying early access to all the new videos, keep enjoying them. I, I really appreciate your support. Um, this is what happens when I'm not scripted. No, that's great. I love it. If, <laughs> if you're enjoying that, them, keep enjoying them. And if you're not enjoying them, Fuck off. I'm sorry. Oh, can, we, can we cuss? I'm sorry. Yeah, we can. This is behind the paywall. Yes. They pay the three pounds a month. They can hear me swear. <laughs> so, Evan, let's kind of start by... So on Valentine's Day, uh, Marvel Studios officially dropped that kind of promotional image and dropped the official cast list. Mm. And it kind of felt like it was the worst kept secret in Hollywood for like the past year. Right. In the, like a month or two earlier, the Pedro Pascal news broke. Um, and even long before, like, like the other three names were all kind of like, no. Yeah. It felt like the kind of read was the final piece of the puzzle though. There were seems to be a lot of actors discussed. Pedro kind of came out of nowhere quite last sure. minute. Uh, and now we have the full cast. We have Pedro Pascal is playing Mr. Fantastic. 
Uh, Vanessa Kirby is playing the Invisible Woman. Joseph Quinn is playing the Human Torch. Uh, Ebon Moss Backrack is playing the Thing. And we don't know who's playing Herbie yet. People on Twitter keep joking about it being Ricky Gervais. But canonically, yes. Herbie is not a transphobe. So I don't that's think right. it will be him. And that's why my choice for Herbie, Keith David. I'm I'm down with that. I'm, I'm always down for Keith David. In yeah, anything, he's uh, 90% of my fan cast is just Keith David. <laughs> <laughs> I saw most of them going like, who should play his character? Keith David? And then I go back from there, usually. Well, as one of Twitter's finer fan casts, as someone that makes a lot of fan casts that I sit and go, oh, I like that. Thank which you. is the highest accolade you can get in the fan casting <laughs> space. Um, what were your thoughts on the kind of the final cast they've assembled for the Fantastic Four? Are you happy with it? I um, I think out of all the names being thrown around, I think this is the best combination, with the exception of Johnny Storm. I just don't know that actor. I know some people know him from Stranger Things, I guess. I don't like Stranger Things, so I haven't watched the last two seasons. So I don't have any feelings towards him whatsoever. Um, but I do think that in terms of... Because there's a lot of names that got thrown around. People were throwing around... Like, John Krasinski was somehow in the running for too long. And we yes. saw how bad of a... I don't want to be rude. But we saw how bad of a, of a Reed Richards he was, right? So the fact that he was still somehow in the running made me very nervous. So honestly, I'm okay with a safe cast because they're good actors. Vanessa Kirby's a very good actor. So is Pedro Pascal. So is Ebon. I don't think I envision any of them personally as the Fantastic Four. But now that I see them in their costumes and everything and... Even from the picture, you can kind of see the chemistry that they might have. And I really like how Reed, uh, how Pedro Pascal and uh, Vanessa Kirby are already kind of, they look like they're in love, which I think is a very big part of making the, of any Fantastic Four uh, adaptation work. So for me, I'm happy with the cast. I think, again, it could have been more daring. They could have gone with like no-name actors. Um, I do think they went with like pretty mid-tier. I think Pedro Pascal is kind of like an A-lister now. And he's mm -hmm. also like acting wise, they're all great. I don't, I'm not trying to say that, but I will say, you know, yeah, not saying Tom Cruise should be in that movie either. But well, Tom Cruise, <laughs> Herbie, hold on, let's think about it. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm kind of in a, I'm in a similar boat to you, I think, there, where it's like two of the four names felt like very obvious no brainers to me, and that's Vanessa Kirby and Ebon Moss Backrack. Yeah, like I got like one episode into the bear and was like, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he just and he's a really good actor. Um, yeah. And Vanessa Kirby, I'm a big fan of. I think she's great in Mission Impossible. Oh, she yeah. was in Hobbs and Shaw, and so like she's in stuff, and she's really good. And I think it's neat that an actor with the surname of Kirby is in a Fantastic Four movie. That's just nice. That's also nice. I never thought about um, that. I <laughs> love it. Like that's just kind of neat. And um, with Pedro, it was like. We are kind of at the precipice of Pedro oversaturation at the moment. Mm. This movie doesn't come out for another two years, so there's time for... And obviously, I think he'll be in Last of Us a bit less than he is in season one, at least. Yeah, spoiler um, So we might have a bit less Pedro over the next 18 months. Yeah, people but might like, be great for Pedro. It's not a name that I would have... Like, if you, like, if you asked me to cook, draw a list of, like, five actors that I could see as Reed Richards... Yeah. I don't think he would have been a name I would have suggested. But when it was kind of being reported and now it's been confirmed and I've had a chance to kind of mull it over, I don't hate it. Like, he's a fantastic actor. Ooh. He's got a good range. 
he can kind of be stoic and serious. He can be very comedic. He can go from doing like really like gruff, like post-apocalyptic survivor dad to basically doing like a Donald Trump impression in Wonder Woman 84. Oh. He snorts <laughs> a big rock yeah. and then grants wishes. That movie is bonkers. Um, <laughs> so he's an actor with a lot of range. He's been a lot in the franchise stuff. You know, he did Mandalorian. He's done DC. He's done The Last of Us. He's kind of everywhere. Which can yeah. be a, a bad thing, but it also means he's kind of a bankable name in that sense, where people like him and he's in a lot of popular stuff. And he's the right age for Reed. I was kind of, I didn't want a Reed that was kind of in his 30s. I like my Reed to be, have the gray in the temples and be a dad. So I was quite happy that we got an actor that's kind of mid 40s to play Reed. Yeah. Um, similar to you with Joseph Quinn, I'm not a big Stranger Things guy. Now that's where most people know him from. Um, I've seen a few people on Twitter were kind of umming and ahhing over whether they like this casting or not. I spoke to a friend of mine who is a big Stranger Things fan, and they said, yeah, he'd be pretty good, I suppose. So it's a hard task to kind of surpass the great work of Chris Evans in the original films. <laughs> but I think that he's the one I know the least about. But I think from the little I know, I think he'll probably be fine. Um, it's it funny because... Like... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, it does seem like a lot of these choices are either safe or uh, people are just kind of going, yeah, that, that makes sense, you know? So I yeah. think it's going to be very much carried by the strength of the script, which, so I, I don't know how trustworthy I feel. Is John Watts still doing that? Yeah, so let's let's kind of talk about that. Okay. So I remember where I was <laughs> the day <laughs> that John Watts was announced to be directing the Fantastic Four. Mm. And my immediate reaction can only be described as the ending of the original Planet of the Apes. <laughs> in that I was, and this was before Spider-Man No Way Home came out. So I was in the kind of post-Far From Home lull. Yeah. A movie I, I do not care for. And have very few positive things to say about. Um, so when it was announced that John Watts was doing Fantastic Four, I was kind of not thrilled about that. Uh, I was kind of hoping they'd get someone with a bit more kind of a visual, kind of noticeable style and a flair about them. Maybe someone kind of a bit more of a bigger name. Yeah. Uh, and then, but John Watts left the project and Matt Shankman, who directed WandaVision, is working on it instead. Oh. And here's where I'm going to sound really hypocritical. So WandaVision is kind of a show of two halves for me in that I think like the first three or four episodes are fantastic. And then, like, once the plot starts to, like, reveal itself, I think the show gets very bad. To the point where, like, the last couple of episodes are, almost feel like a parody of itself. But, like, the first few episodes in which it is just kind of, like, stylized 50s and 60s sitcom, yeah. I think is legitimately very, very good television. And the thing that's kind of, like, made me not hate the Matt Shackman, the fact that he's directing it, is that mixed in with the concept and promotional art that we got for the film, which is yes. leaning very heavily into the whole, you know, 1960s fab for hard days, night style, fantastic Four that Peyton Reed pitched years ago. Right. And people have surmised based on the art that like the things reading uh, time magazine about Lyndon B. Johnson becoming president um, looking at you know, the astronaut uniform that he's wearing in his portrait. This movie is likely, in, at least some extent, set in the early 1960s. Yeah. Which, if that's the case, and I, I'm cool with that, because 
kind of from researching the video, the Peyton Reed idea of just making it like this mockumentary of like celebrity superheroes in the 60s, I think was quite a cool concept. And the big Beatles guy, I, I like that idea uh, of, kind of mirroring the two. And so like Ashman for all of his kind of inexperiences and from the parts of Wonder Vision I wasn't huge yet. The stuff I thought he nailed was the kind of capturing this feel and the tone of like 1960s Americana TV. Right. So if he can bring kind of some of that style and flair to Fantastic Four, I think that's quite exciting. I think I'm of two minds of it. I am just, I might be sour on WandaVision because similar to you, I probably just didn't like the second half of it. And so mm-hmm. the whole experience doesn't feel great to me. I do remember visually having a good time with WandaVision when it was doing the sitcom-y, tropey parody-ness. Um, but I don't think the writing was ever very strong and uh, not to insult any of the actors in particular, but I don't think any of the performances were that strong either. So I don't know if that comes down to directing or just my personal preferences yeah. on who's acting or not. And, you know, again, might be personal preference on writing. Um, and also, I don't know if uh, he wrote uh, most of WandaVision or how that worked out. So, again, it could all just come down to MCU messed up the game for him. But I just wasn't that impressed with WandaVision. So, for me, his name doesn't hold that much weight for it. I will say what made me more comfortable with the idea of the Fantasy Four in general as a movie was the latest Valentine's Day image where we saw them in the 60s sweater, you know, with the Herbie bot and 60s aesthetic uh, housing and everything. So I, I definitely am interested in it because of the time period mostly. Uh, but I, I do still have a little bit of reservations. Yeah, I think I, I definitely, this isn't, I definitely have a lot of reservations myself just kind of based on beyond one division. I don't know how much Shackman's directed. I don't think he's done a feature film before. So that's Looks a little like concerning. Yeah which isn't uncommon that Marvel would kind of hire directors that have mostly worked in TV. That seems to be their MO for most cases nowadays. Um, I just got a quick Google and apparently the script for the film is at least being rewritten. So the latest draft is written by Josh Friedman, who uh, has written the new Planet of the Apes movie. Oh, okay. Um, He worked on Avatar 2 and he is also, uh, according to this, co-writing avatars four and five with james cameron okay yeah there's a lot of kind of stuff that i haven't seen yet yeah i don't know how much i can judge um (laughs) but as someone that also kind of yeah but as someone that also kind of loves planet the apes i don't know this could go one or two ways for me um but yeah i agree i think that like the stuff where wandavision excels is like it's especially in the early stages is all in like the production design and the framing and giving it that kind of like 50s 60s nuclear family kind of vibe with like a bit of a weird and sinister undertone to it not to say that the fan like the richards family dynamic is inherently sinister but they are kind of a team of families that go on wacky adventures and namor's knocking around and there's dr doom with a laser and a mole (laughs) man there's a lot of crazy stuff yeah um but like if they can if like if at the bare minimum if what Matt Shackman can bring to the film is that kind of like stylized 19 early 1960s, like pre JFK assassination, like idealism of America, that kind of tone and vibe. 
very kind of like Cold War space race era stuff mixed with like the nuclear family stuff that comes in one division of like the toils of being these kind of weird, powerful freaks and misfits and also raising a family. I think if you can combine those things and they are things from that show that he directed, right? you kind of have some of the tools there to make a good Fantastic Four story. Not to say that it's a one-to-one, they're very different projects. Right. But I think at least there's, I can understand looking at that, why he may be working on a project like this. Now, and I think a lot of it was just seeing the promotional art and seeing that, okay, this is the vibe they're going for. Things are starting to make a little bit more sense now for me. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of speculation. I'm kind of going to reserve judgment until we see more images, we see a trailer, those kind of things. But where I was kind of quite pessimistic originally, just about the film in general, the casting, the promotional image, and kind of figuring out, okay, why Matt Shackman? Yeah. Start, I, mean, I think I get the idea now, which is more than I did previously. Yeah. So I guess with that segueing, so we know who the cast are going to be. We've kind of got our main four and we've kind of got a Herbie, which is delightful. I wasn't expecting a Herbie, that I'll be completely honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a pleasant surprise to get a Herbie. And then there's been rumors about the villains and kind of casting and stuff for them. A lot of kind of scoops and leakers are pointing towards Galactus being the villain. How do you feel about that just as a concept? Oh, uh, I did not hear that. So I guess my hot take would be... Oh, spoilers, yes. by the way. Yeah, spoilers, everybody. Potential uh, spoilers. <laughs> uh, I guess my hot takes are that that's fine. I know a lot of people want Galactus to start off as his big Avengers threat, but... A lot of these villains, and I think this way about a lot of villains in general, I think Galactus, Doctor Doom, Darkseid, all fall under this umbrella, or sorry, not Darkseid, Brainiac, all fall under, under this umbrella of their villains designed for a specific team or character. And so everyone keeps trying to want to blow them up to be like this Justice League threat, this Avengers-level threat. But in the original stories, they were just, Galactus came mm. up and fought four people, right? Like, everyone was, like, struggling to fight this guy, but it was four people <laughs> that he was really going to head with. And same with, like, Dr. Doom. Everyone's like, everyone who loves Dr. Doom now, I think, knows him from Secret Wars. But Dr. Doom has been going up against four people. It's the not just the majority, but all of his career. His entire he revolves around these four people, right? So, yeah. for me, I think it's, if they have the right story, Galactus could be a very good starting point. I do think... It does seem a little early. I do think Galactus is a great second story for Fantastic Four to do. I like the idea of it being... Though I, in my mind, I think Doctor Doom should be in the first movies and second movies for a Fantastic Four movie, or at least the first one, but not the villain. You know, it should be... His origin should be somewhat tied to them. Like, we should see the beginning of his start. And then by the yeah. third movie, he should be the villain, right? So I would have been very happy uh, if they did someone surprising. Like, Mole Man isn't the most surprising, but that's more surprising than Galactus. Um, it'd be kind of cool to see like Diablo, which I'm the only fan of <laughs> around here. Um, or, oh shoot, what's the guy's name? The one with the mindless one. Is that the Thinker? I always get that mixed up. Yes. Yeah, so the Thinker would have been really interesting if they yeah, tried. Yeah, I didn't consider the Thinker. Yeah. So those are like the kind of weird oddballs. Even my boy Annihilus, who's my favorite Fantastic I was going to say Annihilus. Annihilus was <laughs> yeah. my idea. So um, I, would, I would agree with you then. That would have been a great place to start. If they wanted to take it out of the 60s set, uh, settings right away, they could have done like a, who are the Fantastic Four? They go on space adventures. Here's them going to the negative zone. Here's what they get into. Annihilus is there. And it's a big, you know, yeah. thing, 
like space uh, Star Trek type of deal. But if yeah. they want the 60s type of story, it's about the nuclear family and them forming kind of as a team. I think Galactus is actually a pretty good start because it gets to show off how they all operate and why they need each other. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that Annihilus was kind of my pitch for if they kind of asked me to write the movie. And mm. I, I was kind of working under the presumption that it would be modern day and it would be an origin story. Right. So I thought maybe kind of like like Marvel have kind of started to explore like, um, like the quantum realm and those kind of things. So you could easily do a story of the Fantastic Four go to the negative zone. That's how they get their powers. And you could do most of the movie in the negative zone with Annihilus yeah. as the villain. And exactly. then they come out in the present day and they're now with the Avengers and so on and so forth. That yeah. seemed like an, an obvious direction to go in. I do hope we get Annihilus because Annihilus is awesome. I love him so um, much. I agree with you about Doom. I think that like, especially with the, it's it's a slight inconvenience that like the next movie after Fantastic Four is Secret Wars or was going to be. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and obviously the schedule seems to be all moved around, but they were at one point very close together. So it felt like, okay, Doom has to be introduced here. Yeah. Because even if he's not going to be the main villain, you can't you can't do a Secret Wars without Doctor Doom. He's one of the main characters in both yeah. versions. In both of them, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, he's one of the constants of both of those stories. So he has to be in it to some extent, you'd assume. Yeah. Um, but I also didn't need Doom to be the main villain. Not that I don't love Doom. Doom is my yeah. boy. He is the number one hater in comics. It's him <laughs> and, like, Eobor Thorne are, like, the two Reverse flash prime haters. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, like, every Fantastic Four movie has gone, right, let's, they, they get their powers, and then they fight Doctor Doom. Yeah. So it was kind of like, if we can break from the mold a little bit, that'd be cool. Maybe we do Annihilus. I do want the Mole Man, but mm. I want it as, like... Um, I think it was in the Peyton Reed script. I've read a lot of Fantastic Four scripts recently. I read five <laughs> for the last video. Oh, wow, yeah. And it was in one of them. It was either in Sam Hamm's script, because he wrote like a 1998, 1999 script after Columbus left, or it might have been the script for Peyton Reed that was written after that, that opened with like a big action set piece of the Mole Man having a big monster rip through the center of New York and the Fantastic Four show. And it's the Hell cover yeah. of the first issue. Yeah. And that's the opening of the movie. That'd been perfect. That they all just show up in civilian clothes, fight the big monster, and then it flashes back to like six months previously. I like that idea a lot. I think like you can get because that like issue one cover is so iconic. Yeah. It really and like is. the only time it's ever been adapted is in like the title credits of the nineteen ninety four cartoon for oh. like a split second. <laughs> So, like, I want to see that. I want to see them fight this giant monster, like, ripping out of this, the pavement. Yeah. that's um, all. But I don't think, like, the, the, I don't think the Mole Man is a villain that you could do a whole movie out of. I think you could if you, you change his origins a little bit. Story. But, yeah. like, you could just have him as a bit of a throwaway Acts 1 villain before moving yeah. on to whoever. Yeah, I think in my, in my ideal script, if I was writing it, I would do the exact same thing where they show up. I would have them show up like in full costume and everything, like they've been an established team for a while. Like they're facing the Mole Man, or not maybe established team, but like this is their first real outing. They yeah. fight the Mole Man, and then we go to the Baxter building, and we follow like, you know, so a group of kids walk through the Baxter building, and it shows like, um, oh, like here's a museum or like, yeah, quick yeah. origin of like, oh, and here's where like Herbie's like touring them. He's like, and here's where the Fantastic Four took off to the rocket. And oh no, the rays, ah, you know, that kind oh, of that's thing. a good idea. Yeah, yeah, and I was kind of thinking in my head, like, 
like the Captain America kind of exhibit in Falcon yes. Winter Soldier. Exactly. Like that, that would be a really good way of just like within a minute getting the origin out of the way. Yeah, because I'm tired really of origin stories. I, I think they still work. Like Blue Beetle proved to me that origin stories are still oh, oh, absolutely. Work, but I don't think most heroes don't need them. Fantastic Four, everyone gets it. Their origin is actually pretty simple. We've seen it at least twice now. We just should just move on. We don't have to see it. Yeah. Same with Spider-Man. That's why I didn't mind the MCU skipping over it this mm-hmm. time. We get it. We all know Spider-Man. Yeah. We all know, maybe not the Hulk anymore, but we know the Hulk enough, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, especially those characters that have been around for so long. And, like, the Fantastic Four were getting, like, adapted into cartoons in, like, the 60s. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> they were around enough in, like, the cultural cachet that people get. They're astronauts that go to space. They get hit by cosmic rays. And now they have yeah. superpowers. That's it. I also think that we have to start trusting the audience more. Like, yes, we all know who Batman is and his origin, but the Batman, uh, Matt Reeves, the Batman, skipped the origin story. This threw us into Batman or to Bruce Wayne arriving in to Gotham as Batman again, right? It's like it's his mm-hmm. year one. And we all, I don't think even someone who's new to Batman, they didn't need to see what happened to his family or anything. They get it. The story explains yeah. it in a very natural way. Yeah. So you're introduced to the character first and his whole vibe. Then slowly you're like, oh, this is why he's like this way. And that's more important than the origin at, at some extent. I think that's a really good comparison. I you know, I love that movie. I think oh, it's me too. I think it's great. Perfect. I think it's tremendous. And like like you said, yeah, Reeves forgoes like, God forbid, I did not need to see the pearls drop on the ground again. <laughs> I've seen that enough times <laughs> in my life. But also like, they don't shy away from like addressing it. Whereas like, yeah, I feel like the MCU Spider-Man films maybe went too far the other way. Yeah. Where it gets to a point where it feels like they're tiptoeing around something. Um, whereas like in the Batman, the Wayne's murder is a plot point, especially as we get into the third act and there's like this kind of conspiracy. Mm. So it's not like it's never addressed, but you don't need to see it. Exactly. Like you get it. You know, you've seen enough Batman movies. You've read enough Batman comics. Everyone's, you know, watched Mask of the Phantasm. We get the deal. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was a good kind of middle ground of, like, not showing you it, but also, like, not avoiding it. Yes. Like, yeah, it wouldn't shock me, not to get too off topic, Superman Legacy coming out next year as well. Yeah. I can't imagine that giving us, like, the destruction of Krypton again. I can see the destruction of Krypton being the opening thing, and then we get a time jump to Metropolis. But I maybe do think but I feel like Man of Steel like covered that, yeah, pretty well. Yeah, but since this is like a new start of quote unquote next star of the universe, or whatever, I do think Fair if enough. they wanted to redo it, they'd make it a more vibrant affair. I think so. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm being like, look, it's different, but yeah. I feel like all of our kind of depictions of Krypton in films are make it a very weird place. It's that kind of John Byrne factor of like make Krypton a very undesirable place to live. Yeah. Like the the Zack Snyder Krypton is awful. It's an odd, it's an odd (laughs) planet because it's like weirdly like sterile and hollow. Yeah. And yet then there's like dragons flying around. I can't like quite get a sense of like the physiology of the world. And then obviously like the, the Richard Donner Krypton from the original movies is just like white crystals and everyone. Yeah. Which weirdly, I think my hot take, cause I'm actually a fan of the man of steel movie. I think it's actually pretty good. Um, but I actually do like the 20 minute Krypton opening scene. It's always no, no, agreed. I'm, I'm more mixed on that movie than you, but I think yeah. the entire like action set piece on Krypton is might be my favorite part of the movie. 
It's definitely up there. It's that. I think it's really cool. Flights, like the, I don't, we're not talking about Man of Steel, but First Flight is, I think, one of the best scenes in movie oh, history. But there's other stuff I don't like, like uh, Kevin Costner. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not. I, it's one of those where it's like not to kind of get into like pretentious YouTube video essays, but it's a good yeah. movie, but not a good Superman movie. Damn. Uh, that's that's, a, that's a video like title. The YouTube channel. You did it. Yeah. Are you happy, Owen? You're one yeah. of them now. This is why I'm saying it behind a paywall. It can't come <laughs> back to bite me. And if it does, at least I've made some money off it. <laughs> but yeah, I think that like with the Fantastic Four, you don't need to show the origin. We get it. Yeah. They are one of those, even though they've not had like the most illustrious film history, they're well-known enough and the concept's well-known enough that yeah. audiences get the deal. It's also like one of the most straightforward origins. Like that and the Hulk are like, competing for most straight it's like someone got shot with a cosmic ray the end there's <laughs> yeah. nothing else to say yeah astronauts go into space they like go into a storm it affects them they land and they have powers yeah it's it's really straightforward um though it would yeah, be so really with... cool to see the crash and like them coming out and like their powers forming all at the same time that would be a cool shot to see my other suggestion so i like your idea of it kind of like just being a kind of throwaway thing in like a museum mm -hmm. i had this idea in my head for ages of like the movie starting with the crash but from like the ground perspective <gasps> oh we're like you're oh, it's like, like, air, like explosion almost yeah that's exactly what I was thinking. So, like, you're like just hearing like the like the conversation from like Air Force One and the ship. It's yeah. like, oh, we're going down, and That'd then like be really good and tense. I like that. And you like, I, you can even imagine it where like the screen's just black and you're just hearing yeah. like, all the commotion, and then like it crash lands, and then you see like them. I know in like the 2015 movie they try and do like a bit of like Cronenberg body horror stuff, but yeah. actually see the transformation in real time as they're like coming out of the wreckage would be really kind of eerie and cool. I think that would be, be a awesome. good like cold open. Yeah, you can even imagine it where like they started doing it with like you know when they do like the MCU intro. Yes. Where instead yeah. of like having a song or a score, having like dialogue and those kind of things as that's playing, you could even do that with it. Where like Reed's talk, like Ben's talking to like Air Force One and saying like, "There's an issue with the ship. We're going down. We're going to crash." Yeah. As like the big MCU fanfare intros playing, <laughs> and then you just the movie starts and it's just the wreckage of a ship. That would be very innovative and inventive, which is why I don't think they're doing that for an MCU. <laughs> Probably not. But that's the way where you could like, if you had to do the origin, you can yeah. do that in five minutes. Hundred percent. Yeah. You could, like you see them come out. Like, all four crawl out of the ship. Like, oh, my arm's on fire. Oh, I've gone invisible. Oh, I'm a big rock man. Oh, I'm now Mr. Fantastic. Read yeah. the room, Reed. What the fuck, Reed? Oh, no, I'm ugly. I'm hideous. Wow, I'm better than ever. <laughs> Stop being mean to Reed. He's literally neurodivergent. He oh, can't read tone, okay? <laughs> He's just like, my arm's huge now. This is great. Wow, guys, you see this? We're all giants. Like, ah! <laughs> Ben's there just trying to put on a trench coat like my life is over I'll never have sex again he's just like <laughs> my dick is 12 times as long as ever wow guys isn't this fantastic <laughs> hold on <laughs> say that again <laughs> he's talking to himself say that again okay fantastic like Reed shut up <laughs> read the fuck 
fucking room. <laughs> so, <laughs> so going back to Galactus, it's mm. funny. So I went, I went for, I went for food with a friend of mine uh, last weekend, who like follows these kind of things, but isn't a comic reader. Yeah, but like follows the MCU. What is what? Watched a lot of the cartoons, but just never made the jump to like being a big comic reader. Right. So I mentioned to him that like, oh, all the rumors are that like Galactus is the villain. I've seen like some leakers and stuff say that like they want Javier Bardem to play him. Oh, I think, be, I think that'd be pretty cool. That'd be really good. He's intimidating and he's got a deep voice. Yep, yeah, awesome. Get him in a big silly hat and on a chair and make him <laughs> massive. I'm in. You imagine giant Javier Bardem? I would like to. I think we That's like the world's biggest coin toss. I'm down. Oh my god! I hope he keeps the accent though. I hope he keeps the look, the hair, everything. Yeah, I want everything. Um, so we were he talking about helmet. It's like the Anton Chigurh hair, the bowl yes. cut. <laughs> Hell yeah! Um, so we were talking about, and I mentioned to him that, like, oh, I've heard kind of rumblings that it might be Galactus, and he said the same thing. He said, like, is it not too soon? Mm. Is that not kind of because he's quite a big character, both literally and figuratively? Right? Is that not someone you kind of want to set up and build and like explore the mythology of, especially with like the Silver Surfer as well? And I, I thought about that, and I can understand the argument for like wanting to like not kind of just like blow your load with Galactus in movie one, right? But also, I kind of think it's just neat that he just shows up one day and he's like, "Hey, I'm going to eat this planet." Yeah, and there's nothing was... you can do about it. I also think like if they do it kind of true to the comic, I think it's a very good opportunity to again just show what the Fantastic Four is really about, which is like science and everything, and. You know, a lot of times they do outsmart their opponents. And Galactus' yeah. story is this one shot about a giant cosmic deity that is untouchable and unstoppable and can't die. He's been here through multiple dimensions, right? Like, he survived mm-hmm. one uh, restart of the universe and came back yeah. as the same guy in the next one. He's the only one to ever do that, right? So, besides maybe Molecule Man, but I don't think he counts. So, he's the one guy. He's everything. And so, I think... For four people in the 60s to stand up to that, that could be very, very cool. Yeah, and also, and I think as well, like, to, oh, go ahead. And I was just gonna say, like, if you're especially pulling from like the original Lee Kirby Galactus saga, yeah, that is like regarded as like the best Fantastic Four story ever, pretty yeah. much. Like, that is like you can make the argument that is like the definitive like 60s Marvel comic book story, yeah, probably. And like yeah. it's been adapted into TV, and like no one's really touched it because it's such a perfect. I think it's like two or three issues in total, from like the day the Silver Surfer shows up to yeah. the day Reed is there, like pulling out the ultimate nullifier, like he's Arn Anderson on dynamite. <laughs> like that's like three issues in total. I'm glad that you, also, you understood that reference. I think if they're like really leaning into like the 60 vibes, it's also a really good opportunity to do something unique in the MCU and have continue the 65 with a it's basically a creature feature, right? Like this is the um, yeah, like very like there's a lot of alien movies that popped up in like the 50s and 60s. And, like I think one of them was like the day the earth stood still, and that's basically what yes. that story is. Yeah, he comes to Earth and says, You guys are done. Like, that's it. It's a wrap. And everyone's like, what can we do? And they're like, you can't do anything. Well, that's 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 a good point. And that's what I think is so cool about the idea of not building up Galactus. Yeah. Even though, like, he is a character with so much lore and mythology. And, like, you could do a whole Silver Surfer movie explaining, like, Norman Rad's backstory and how he ends up becoming, like, the servant of this creature. Yeah. And I think that is a movie I would watch. But 
there's something cool about it being from like the human perspective where like this entity just arrives you don't know why you don't know where he's come from but now everything's changed yes and it's just up to these four people one of them is a big rock man one's a big rock man one of them is literally on fire also one's the best just just and one of them is like the most arrogant prick you've ever met but it's okay he has a literal disability (laughs) but i think also one super long limbs i think something that like a lot of fans and viewers in general have a hard concept of or hard time rationalizing their head is that characters continue beyond stories i think we're very used to stories being especially for villains being one and done Right, that's been especially like, with like especially, movies. Especially with like how often villains would be killed off as well. Exactly. So I think this is an opportunity for I think my now I'm imagining this. Uh so the mm-hmm. beginning is like, you know, we're on the planet of uh oh shoot, I can't remember Silver Surface name, nor something. So he's no, on this not. planet. We see the destruction of his planet from like their point of view and everything collapses like looming over them and like his arrow at the time, and then it cuts, you know, movie starts, movie's playing, Galactus shows up, yada, yada, yada. They get the ultimate nullifier and everything, and they trick. Like, that movie should end with the ultimate nullifier, them being like, we'll pull it. We'll we'll shoot you. And, and Galactus is just like, I don't even know how to shoot that thing. There's no way you know how to do it. And then Reed's just like, I figured out what this was, found it. The team did all this stuff. You think we can't figure out how to pull a trigger? <laughs> and then Galactus kind of stares them down, just like, you win this time. But as soon as you lose that device, I'll be back. And then he just like like slowly goes off. And then Reed's like, then Giant's just like, well, Reed, how'd you figure out how to pull the trigger? And Reed's like, I did it. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> you know, that's like the story was. Exactly. So you know, it was funny. Ought to be like do really crazier stories after like he was mm-hmm. like a, he was an energy source for a giant ship for Annihilus and Thanos at one point. Like, yes. there's so many more stories. He became a life bringer. There's so many more stories through Galactus that I think doing the quick story of like showing who the Fantastic Four are, who Galactus is, who the Silver Surfer is. You can do it all in one in a really grand story that's a one shot basically. And then those characters can go on their separate paths after that. I've just realized that introducing Galactus before Secret Wars means we can get the bit where he just goes and sits on a mountain for like three issues. Hell yeah. In the original Secret Wars comic. That's true. Where he's just kind of just hanging out and then like eventually he's like, this book's <laughs> dragging on, I'm going to eat the planet. Oh, my turn. <laughs> but I think like you mentioned a good point with like, I love the the ultimate law fire ending. And yes. it reminds me, I, it went viral a year ago. The episode of the original 60s cartoon with Magneto. Mm-hmm. Oh, where, like him with the wooden gun. <laughs> yes, like that's basically what like the ending of the Galactus saga is. Except like, for I'd be so, I'd be so down for this movie to end, and Pedro's read is like, oh no, this isn't actually the ultimate nullifier. It's just a plastic gun I made. Yeah, he's like, no one ever saw it, so I just like did a guess based yeah. on how people described it, and it looks like this funky thing. It just looks like the little guns they have in Men in Black. Yeah. How funny would it be if he just like had a modified Nerf gun? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I love that like I, I love the original story so much. It's one of my favorites. And the fact that it like comes down to this game of chicken between a human scientist and like this essentially God. Yeah. Like he holds God to ransom with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> and people tell me that Mr. Fantastic isn't like the coolest guy in he's the Marvel so cool. universe. He's cold as hell. He's Mr. Fantastic. It's in his name. 
was like, that's not a name you just give yourself. You get appointed that. You have to. Someone has to say that's who you are. Someone has to say you're fantastic, mister. (laughs) Wait, say that again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I think Galactus can work. And, like, he leaves Earth at the end of the movie, and then you could do, like, a Silver Surfer film after that. Yeah. With a lot of flashbacks and explain, like, not only, like, Norman Rad's origin, but also, like, Galactus's origin as well. It doesn't yeah. have to just be once you've used him, he's never in the MCU again. I think people are just afraid of like characters looking weak by being defeated, but I think it depends on how you defeat them. Like I didn't see the last Ant-Man movie because I don't like those movies personally. So you did not miss anything at all. Not. But I know a lot of people are complaining because they're like, how can they use Kang again? Because like he got beat by Ant-Man and blah blah blah. And I was like, Yeah, that's a bad use of a character who has to come back. But yeah. you have like chances like like with, uh, with Thanos, who lost in Guardians of the Galaxy, but it ended up being like the scariest threat in the MCU for two movies in a row, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it works. You can make it work. Oh, no, definitely. And like Galactus is a character where there's more than one story you can tell with him. Yes. Although like his battle with the Fantastic Four is like the main one. There's right. so much mythology and lore there to him that you can easily do more stuff with Galactus if like the movie comes out and people like that character. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think that that's, and then I think so that's the main one. I think that I'm fine with that being the villain. Yes. And then I feel like, like you said, I feel like Doom will be in the film, but yeah. I just don't know in how you use him. Yeah, my fear is that he'll be in the because the problem is either you have to not use him in the film, and then in the next or third movie explain how he's connected to the Fantastic Four because he has to be personally connected to the Fantastic Four. So I just think it's harder to find a personal connection for them if they're in the 60s and coming to modern times. Well, that, that's he, the kind of thing I've got to figure out is like, so the movie, I imagine the movie's going to be set in the 60s. Right. But I feel like they will end up in the present day. I also so agree So where does Doom come from? Does he come from the 60s or does Doom come from the present day? I really hope, so there's two, I had, I, I thought about this a lot because I love Dr. Doom, obviously it's in my name. Mm-hmm. But So my first thought is, if he's in the 60s, they have to show him and Reed having some type of relationship. Yeah, you want to see them in college together. Exactly. You can't just say, unless they do it this way, where Doom is this looming idea of a character, or like a deep regret for Reed that he doesn't want to talk about. And the movie's about him overcoming that without ever really naming Doom. So in the second movie, when they go to the future, for whatever yeah. reason, they get there and Doom's still there. And then Reed has to confront his own past with this man who who originally devoted his life to science and now secretly devoted to magic as well. And now reads like, and like has also presumably hell? spent like 40, 50 years, like building this irrational hatred of Reed. Exactly. And then for him to show up. Yes. So I think that's I the think best that's way work. to handle it. Yeah. I think like the time jump thing does present an issue with doom where it's like yes. him and Reed are meant to be contemporaries and peers and the same age and have like a big personal backstory. So either like Doom has to travel with them if that's the direction they're going. Right. Or like you do it where like Doom was like a kid and was like Reed's like protege. Which I, I like less. Do, I think you could do like they were the same age and everything. And then because uh, like in the original comic, uh, Doom gets a little scar from an accident because of his own hubris after Reed warns him. And so yes. that's Any like, scar Doom is exactly. always the way to go. But here's the thing. Immediately after that, he scars himself further 
So that's mm-hmm. where the big scar comes from. He puts this iron hot. He's like, my face is already ruined. I'm putting this hot iron thing of shame on my head, which is very, I also think, very funny. I like tying <laughs> scars to him, but I think it's very funny when he's just like, you ruined me. Then he ruins himself way more because, like, the scar <laughs> is so small. <laughs> so he had this opportunity for, like, again, for that to be, like, a looming threat. And they were the same age. And then he goes off and he, he already like conquered science in his mind right so there's nowhere else to go so next avenue is magic so maybe he uh and we don't see this right away maybe he goes to hell and he like you know uh tries to save his mom makes it worse and then devotes more of his time to magic and that's where he yeah. serves his youth or he goes to like an alternate dimension like a pocket dimension to, to, to practice I, you know, I, I don't think you so say doom is the same age as reed and reed travels from the 60s right. i don't feel like you have to explain doom's age because one He's going to be in a mask for most of the movie, or at least yes. he should. Yes. I don't care how handsome the actor is. If that dude's not wearing a metal mask for 90% of the film, I don't want it. Yeah. And two, he is magic. Yeah. That is enough explanation for me where it's like, I don't need to understand why Doom is not an old man. Yeah. Unless they want to make it a thing. And then Reed's like, how are you still here? And then Doom just very quickly goes like, I don't know. And then Yeah, Reed's Doom like, could okay. just wave it away with just like, some yeah. weird cryptic bullshit because that's it can how be like he talks. Feel of like we don't have to like say, oh, he used magic, but we could just show he knows strong magic, and then Reed be like, oh my god, like he's yeah, he, he a god. can he can make a comment to Reed where it's like you know the limits of my knowledge far exceed yours, Richards, and that's it. Mm. Yes, and he do not address it more than that. But they say it in a way that establishes okay, all, like I this guy's really clever. <laughs> he's mastered science and magic, and he's a dick. Yeah, you've got all the dooms like Annie's Romani. You got all the dooms traits in there. So I think it'd be great. I do think that I hope at least if they do that route, I don't. I still don't want Doom to be the main villain in the second movie. I think they should meet and again reach be confronting um, his past with this character. But another villain should take the center stage, and Doom is just another player. Maybe he's pulling the strings, and they went to re- to Doom for help. Then later it's revealed Doom was pulling the strings, and the main villain was. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Diablo. Uh, maybe what? Who said? You're not. You're not going to like this comparison. And I apologize to both you, Evan, and to the readers and listeners. You can kind of like, okay, Ultimates three. Yeah. Is like it's an Ultron book, and then it's like a terrible book, and then it's an incestuous book, mm. and at the end of that, it turns out that Doctor Doom is like orchestrating everything. And yes. the same with Ultimatum. Like, he is the driving force behind Magneto, like, shifting the Earth's magnetic poles. Yes. And I'm not saying you do that, because you definitely don't. But no. that kind of story where, like, you think the villain is one character, and then right yeah. at the end it's revealed that, no, actually, mm. Doom is the big mastermind. And now but I all- also have this idea in my head of, like, at the bare minimum, Doom should be talked about in the first movie. Yes, I agree. What if, like, he's had his accident or whatever... Or you, if they really want to do the stuff where like Doom goes to space with them, I'm not against it. I don't love yeah. it, but I, I can deal with it. But like they haven't seen him since, so he's I presume dead. Yes, which is in, I think was in one of the scripts I read from the 90s, where like Doom is the fifth member of the crew, and like he just gets like taken away, and they just get told that Doom died, and so like Reed's got this like deep regret, which could be a whole thing of like him learning to like trust this new family and stuff. Yeah. If he has this regret of like essentially killing his best friend. And then in the second movie, he rocks up and he's like, Hey Richards, I'm metal now and I'm going to kill you. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's all you need. But I also have this idea in my head. And the only way I can describe it is the Wolverine scene from First Class. Mm. Where Galactus has come to Earth and he's like, hey, I'm going to eat the planet. And the Silver Surfer's like, sorry, dude, you're out of luck. Um, but I've heard there's this thing called the Ultimate Nullifier. And you could almost like do a montage of Reed like going and consulting all of like the greatest minds in the world. He yeah. goes to see Oppenheimer from the movie Oppenheimer. The timeline would work out. <laughs> Albert Einstein from the movie Oppenheimer. And you could just do like this like 30 second scene where Reed like with a tail between his legs goes to Latveria, goes in this big gothic castle and it's like, look, he's going to eat the world. I need your help. Yeah. And Doom's just like, get out of here not interested and that's the all you see of him in the movie oh he'd be good i, I think wouldn't it, even I, hate that i would want it to be longer like i'd want it, I, I like the montage idea of him like going to all these leaders and like nothing working but then i do want that scene if he's going to go meet doom for the first time it's our first introduction to doom i think that yeah it probably should be something a bit more grander and bigger yeah. in scale and also reed should learn something from that interaction too from a story like, now i'm looking at the narrative perspective of it but he i think reed has to learn something from Doom in that interaction too. So maybe yeah, like Doom already knows what the ultimate nullifier is or something. Exactly. And so he's, he's like, yeah, obviously I know that. And so like, he's like, I know what that is. And he explains everything about it. He's like, where do I find it then? And Doom's like, you think I want to help you? <laughs> Fuck you. Get out of here. Yeah. So I need back of work for sure. Yeah. I, I agree. And then like there's potential for Doom, like build him up throughout a trilogy. And then like, I don't know if you, if you want to do secret wars with Doom, I still think it's way too early. But like at yeah. least build the character up. Yeah. Also, I think again, I'm one of those people that's like Secret Wars isn't an Avengers uh book. If it's anything, it's a Marvel Universe book, but at the core of it, it is a Fantastic Four book. I mean, the original it depends which one you're talking about. I'll talk about the original that's why the original that's book that. is like is literally just a toy advert. Yeah. The 2015 book of, is a Fantastic Four book. Yes. That's what Not I'm even that. So whenever it's they still say uh, Secret Wars, I always assume they're talking about that one because we're in the multiverse saga and that's the quintessential multiverse story right now. So Yeah. And also because like that's the good one. Oh, I mean, I agree with you, but... <laughs> hey, I think the original one's fun. For what yeah. it is, which is just a 12-issue toy commercial, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. We get the black suit, Galactus sits on a big rock, like it's got a lot of fun Doctor Doom nonsense, but it's pretty light on plot and substance. Yeah, which is where Jonathan Hickman one excels. I am officially on record saying the Jonathan Hickman Assad Ribic Secret Wars is the greatest event book in comics history, and I stand by that. I wouldn't disagree, except for I might argue Death of Superman, but honestly, I, I also love Secret Wars. <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess I guess I qualify those differently because like Death of Superman, oh. despite how it brings everything in. Yeah, is a Superman story is, is billed as a Superman book and largely just occurs in the Superman series. That's where Secret Wars is everything. So I think they're on like different <laughs> scales, but I get what you mean. Yeah, and I don't disagree in terms of like they are like on the Mount Rushmore. Yes. So and yeah, obviously, like we want. I want a good Doom. Oh yeah. Never had a great Doom. We had a, a kind of Julian McMahon Doom who was fine. Okay. He was also just kind of like, I'm Norman Osborn from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. His costume is really good. The like costume's it's... good for, for like the time. I think it's solid. And then there's the the Toby Cavill Doom. Yeah. From the 2015 so movie. Far. So we'd love to see a switch up on that. <laughs> yeah, good Doom. Preferably 
with a lot of magic and sorcery and an accurate costume. And if you can get a Romani actor, please do. Marvel, you managed to find perfect casting for characters like Kamala Khan and Echo. I trust that you can find a good Romani actor to play Doom. That would be nice. Yeah, I was being nice about it. I'll be mean. MCU, if you don't get a Romani Doom, you fucked up. Like, you're just not doing your job. If the casting director can't find one Roma actor for one character, you messed up. We found a perfect Miss Marvel through an opening call in Canada. What are we talking about? If you can't find a Roma <laughs> actor, they're out there. Just open your eyes. We found. Did you, just, we found, did like, you see uh, how we did, like, the good cop, bad cop? That was yeah. so impressive. <laughs> Like I, I meant everything you said. I was just kind of like you setting you up there. But yeah. no, I agree. And especially with like how Marvel hasn't been great with like accurate casting in a lot of ways. Yeah. Especially with like Romani characters. I think like if we can get um like I feel like out of anyone you want to nail yes. like the ethnicity in the background, Doom is one of those characters you really it's should. The biggest one. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that they are kind of getting better with like Echo was very well cast. Um yeah. Miss Marvel. I'm still a little sore about the Moon Knight, but we'll see. Um, yeah. But then like you got like Ben Grimm. So Marvel's very like giving. Yes, I will say that. The fact that we got Eben Moss Backrack as you know, not only we got a Jewish actor, but we got a, a Jewish New Yorker is yeah. very good. I'll <laughs> take that. Um and it did seem from all the rumors that a lot that pretty much all the actors they considered for the thing were Jewish which is good because, well, yeah. it kind of need to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it gives me a little bit of hope that we will get a Jewish Magneto as well when the time comes. That would be nice. Because it's, it's crazy because we've always had great Magnetos. Like, both versions, I think, are fantastic. Yeah. But we've never actually had a Jewish one. Yeah, which is strange. If Marvel are listening to this, if they're paying their £3, Jason Isaacs is right there. I've been screaming it for years. Yeah, I think he wants it too, and I think I think everyone is on board for it. So if they don't, yeah, do it, I, I, I see no know. downside to Jason no. Isaac's Magneto. He's a great villain. He's like in enough stuff and is enough of a name. Yeah, and it's not a kind of case where like he's Jewish actor. Like he's a good fit for the role and is yes. Jewish. And he was in Suicide Squad: Kill the Justice League. Apparently, apparently he was Brainiac. Was Brainiac? Yeah. So I'm not going to hold that against him. He was also in Boulder Gates Three. Yeah. So the last thing I want to kind of talk about before we move on to uh, viewer questions sure. is we talked about earlier that Fantastic Four have had a bit of a rocky history on screen. Where like the, the Tim Story movies are kind of getting a bit of a reappraisal now. Mm. But at the time they weren't particularly well received. Yeah. And then the, the kind of 2015 remake, the Josh Trank film, which is just all shades of terrible. <laughs> So, and then you've also got like the Roger Corman film from the 90s, which shouldn't be judged because it was literally made to retain rights and get scrapped. And there's a whole story yeah. behind it. Zilla Mendoza just did a good video about it. I talked yeah. about it a little bit in mine, so watch those. Um, but, but they've had a bit of a troublesome history. So I think something to kind of consider is what lessons from those projects do you think Marvel should learn and kind of take warning from when making this movie? So I think the big lessons to take from, so I, I'm of the mindset that I think the uh, the two that was the 2004, 2006 uh, Fantastic Four movies were fun, which is really what was important to me as a kid. 
was that movie was fun. And I think they nailed mm-hmm. the interactions of the main cast. Um, and I had a fun time and I thought I was watching these characters that I was reading about in books, like come to life. So that was a big magical moment for me as a kid. So, and that's something that they, like, you know, Marvel nailed also with like Spider-Man, for example. Yeah. So I think yeah. those are the things for me, when we're watching superhero movies, I do think character is a little bit more important than plot. Cause then the day mm-hmm. plot is usually for these movies, just how do we make them punch and how do we make them interact? So whatever. But I also think that, the Marvel movies that I like have great plots like Black Panther 2. Um, I like the Eternals. Sorry, everybody. So the Eternals. Oh, um, Evan, you should have told I, me in advance. The Eternals plot's pretty good. The characters kind of are boring, but the plot's pretty good. <laughs> um, so and, uh, like I like Winter Soldier. So like those are ones that yeah. I think there's a good balance of plot and character with the exception of Eternals, which has better characters. So um I think if they could balance the charm of the original, not the original 90s movie, but the original ones we all know and add plot to it and like a real substance and, you know, thematic resonance for the audience to latch onto, that's what I want them to take away from it. I think from the Josh Trank movie, they could surprisingly take away, take away from that movie that they should be daring. I think Josh Trank really wanted to make this weird fantastic yeah. horror, body horror thriller action movie and the studio said no and they changed it and that change made a disconnect in the movie versus if the movie was one thing like i think the beginning of the movie is pretty good and then this like second half as soon as they get their power sucks so yeah, I, there's that, that like one year time jump isn't it where yeah. you can tell that like the rest of the movie from this point has been reshot yeah the studio just came in and said no so i think they have to to decide what they want to do and stick to one vision. And I always will say they should push for the creator vision. Cause even if it sucks, at least it's a vision versus a studio yeah. never has a vision. Their vision is money. It's the, it's the justice league paradox, isn't it? It's like, would Zack Snyder's justice league, if it was released in 2017, have been like the smash hit they wanted? I don't know. But as, as someone that's not even a particularly big fan of the filmmaker or his DC movies, I would take that, a hundred days consecutively over one kind of Joss Whedon Frankenstein studio yeah. mandated Justice League. Yeah. Even if it's not the vision I want, I will take a singular creative vision of these characters any day over studio meddling and interference and reshoots and, and those kind of stuffs. So I think yeah. in terms of the 2015 movie, that is a, a big lesson that if Matt Shackman's your guy, if you've hired him to write it and direct it, let him do it. Because we've seen what happens when a director has an idea, wants to do something unique with these characters for better or for worse. And then that's kind of like cut up in the edit and changed into something else. Yeah. There's so many instances in recent years of studios doing that to movies. And there's very, very few instances where that works out for the best. Yeah. And I don't understand why they keep doing it for money. But uh, I think the other thing they should take away from it is that those movies worked and stuck with people because they were a movie right? They're like one movie you go in and then you see the sequel and you're mm-hmm. in it now and you get that experience. And I think that the Marvel universe has been so caught up in its own world building that a lot of these movies have just been too connected. So I think they have to find that balance. Like Black Panther 2, again, I, I really like Black Panther 2, so I keep going back to it, but mm-hmm. stepping to Black Panther 2, if you only saw Black Panther 1, you're fine. Yeah, you know, you yeah absolutely. Just, it's a direct sequel. 
there's characters like Ironheart comes in. Um, and I will say Victoria Hand was a little like, what the hell is she doing here? But it wasn't even that distracting if you don't know who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they have to really focus on we're making a good movie. It's Fantastic Four. Let's make a Fantastic Four movie. And if we do any type of connection to like future stuff, it should be small sprinkles of Easter eggs and not directly related to the plot or like an offshoot of the plot. You know what? I'm going to say it. Do a whole trilogy. Keep them in the 60s. Honestly, probably. probably I would not hate that. Like, if you want to just have this bait, obviously still within the MCU timeline, but a self-contained trilogy of films, I would not be against, like, the Fantastic Four were just a team in the 60s who go and fight Galactus and Annihilus and Doctor Doom and Mole Man. And maybe they meet Hank Pym in a movie. Or maybe they meet Tony Stark's dad or... Peggy Carter or one of those characters that are knocking around in that period. And then they just outside of like, maybe like a big secret wars film where they somehow end up in the present day fight with the Avengers and then go back to their own time. I would actually be fine with that. Yeah. I think it worked perfectly. Like I like the idea of like, even within this big universe, these films can just be relatively self-contained and standalone. Yeah. And the fantastic four is one. It's like the same with the X-Men are one of those properties with enough characters and lore and mythology that they can kind of just be a corner onto themselves. Like, outside of, like, ironically, you bringing up Black Panther 2, because outside of Namor, there's not a massive amount of other Marvel characters like I desperately need to see in a Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. He would be a good idea for maybe, like, the second movie, because obviously there's a lot of history with him and Sue and Reed, so you could do something with those. But outside of that, it's like I'm not itching to see, like, an Avenger show up or like, I don't need to see like an, an existing Marvel villain from like one of those movies. It can yeah. just be its own series of films. Yeah. The only other characters I would have wanted to see would be like she Hulk and Spider-Man interact with them. So yeah, that's, that's that regards, I would have liked to see them come to the sixties, but again, it comes down to creator vision and the creator's like, I want to do this in the sixties. I'm like, yes, you should do that then because that sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah, and then I think kind of what to learn from the original films, having rewatched them when making the video, I think they, they're they pretty much really well cast. Yeah. I think like Ewan Grufford, Chris Evans, and Michael Chiklis are all fantastic. Mm. I think Jessica Alba does the best with what she's given. <laughs> but I think those three in particular nail it. Yeah. I think that like, and for the most part, like they get the team dynamics pretty spot on. They understand the characters. Like Chris Evans is a very accurate human torch. Ewan Grufford is in literally a perfect Mr. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Michael Chiklis in the in the prosthetic, the physical suit is brilliant as the thing. The bridge scene, oh, makes me cry every time. <laughs> and so I think that's what you take from those movies. It's it's the characters, it's getting like the family dynamics, and it's also just like the sense of fun and wonder and whimsy that comes with it. It's yeah. a movie with like world-ending stakes, especially when you get into the second one, but it still retains that element of like fun and like and that joy that the, the later movies and like the remake don't have because it's so bogged down in like grim and gritty. Yeah. So moving on to kind of final thoughts and viewer questions. Uh, there's two questions here. We can kind of have a, a little bit of a chat about them. Uh, the first one comes from massive verse central who asks um, if the new MCU fantastic four film were to take any influence from a particular fantastic four run or story, what would you pick it to be? Obviously, we talked a lot about the Galactus saga from the Lee and Kirby run, but if there's any other just 
a writer's run, those kind of characterizations, or a particular story that you would like to see adapted? Danny, come yeah. to mind. Um, so the two, I'm a, so I think in an ideal world we'd have a, like Fantastic Four TV show, like an animated show again. And I think mm-hmm. if they adapted uh, like a mixture of Ryan North and Jonathan Hickman, I think those would be perfect runs for that. Um, because Ryan North, I think, is making very fantastic one-shot uh, issues recently. Such a criminally underrated run. He's such like, a smart writer, and he gets these characters, yeah. and they're having such a fun time while still it's just ex- ex- exasperating what these characters mean to me. Mm-hmm. So I think I would want them to lean on Ryan North a little bit for an animated show, but for if you're trying to do just standalone stories, I really do think they should take some inspiration, but not entirely from Mark Wade's run as well. And I also, obviously, like I'm talking about like uh, the original run too. They got to take from you can't not yeah. right. But yeah, I Mark think that like has very solid um, intros. Like the first issue, you get this big snapshot of who the Fantastic Four are and why Reed is the way he is mm-hmm. and how he feels deep regret for putting his yeah. family in this situation where they became uh, these quote unquote freaks. And so he made them celebrities to compensate for that um, in his own way. And you also get the idea of who these characters are um, on a surface level. So I think that's a great way to start. And then the first issue is a new villain while also still showing who these characters are at their hearts. Mm -hmm. So I think tapping into what Mark Wade was trying to do with each volume uh, is a good little, at least a starting point for um, how to tell Fantastic Four stories. Yeah, I think the Wade run was one that sprang to mind for me. I think that like that issue you're talking about where he's kind of explaining the story to Valeria yeah. is like such a perfect way of like establishing those characters. You could even frame a movie around like retelling her a bedtime story and it's the story of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. The entire movie is just the story retelling his daughter. And like you understand so much about Reed's psyche from that idea of like, I ruined my best friends lives yeah so i've made them celebrities and superheroes to try and just even though it's not the life that they had just to give them a life back for what i took from them yeah it's like that is everything you need to know about reed richards encapsulated i love that issue so so much um and wade's run in general like has such a good sense of who these characters are and the world that they exist in there's a lot you can pull from that the, the Ryan North run, I think, is the most underrated run in comics right now. Oh, yeah. I, I do not see enough people talking about how great it is. I've loved every single issue of it. I love the covers just blow my mind every <laughs> issue. I think that Ryan, I, I've spoken with Ryan a little bit a couple of times. And I think he has such a good kind of grapple on what makes the Fantastic Four tick. He's the first writer to explicitly canonize Reed being autistic, mm. which is great. And I think that, like, any time I pick that book up, I just know it's in such safe hands with what Ryan's doing over there. And then obviously, like, the Jonathan Hickman run. Yeah. He's kind of agreed that, like, <laughs> if the Mark Wade run isn't the greatest ever run, it's the Jonathan Hickman run. Yeah. The Jonathan Hickman run, like, you get into... The issue with adapting Hickman is there's so much kind of, like, plot and setup and subtext. And also, it's all very high concept and crazy. Oh, yeah. Which, as a, you know, as a Grant Morrison scholar there's a reason why I also gravitate to Jonathan Hickman, but right. that's very hard to kind of rip out and adapt in a different setting. Yeah. But I think like, I, it's been a while since I've read Hickman's run in full, but I remember that kind of first story, like the solve everything dilemma 
yes. being really powerful yeah. like, as a mission statement for Reed Richards. And like how that then introduces like the Council of Reeds, which is a fun thing. If they ever get to that, the Council of Reeds is fun. Just all these different Pedro Pascals knocking around. <laughs> the one evil one, probably. <laughs> yeah, and then there's just a Miles Teller in a big helmet. Yeah. And then John Krasinski's there, and he's just still spaghetti. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot you can pull from. And as well, like I think for the first movie, I feel like it'll be like the Galactus Saga. And yeah. there's a lot of, like, the good thing about that Lee Kirby run is there's a lot of one-shots, and then there's a lot of, like, two-issue, three-issue stories. Yeah. Like, it's a shame that the MCU have already kind of gone in a direction with the Skrulls and already done Secret Invasion, because yeah. you could do a really fun Skrull story. We could have done, like, we could have adapted the original Black Panther debut story. Yeah. Or the Super, Inhumans. Yeah, Super Skrull could have been, like, a perfect first movie villain. Yeah, well, let's not talk about Super Skrull. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that show. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see but the yeah, show. I know what you mean. Like, that could have been an ideal villain. Especially yeah. knowing that they have kind of set up this race uh, yeah, exactly. in like Captain Marvel and stuff. Um, so. And the same with like the Inhumans and Black Panther. There's a lot of characters that are tangentially related. Like Namor as well. Yeah. Um, I, th I think there's a lot you can do. And I think if you can kind of pull bits from all of those different runs, I think you're in good hands. And I remember a while ago, Matt Shankman did on Twitter kind of talk about like what he'd been reading to prepare. And mm. it was like, and it was like the obvious stuff, but the fact he was saying like, Oh, I'm reading the Ryan North ongoing. I read all oh, of yeah. the Jonathan Hickman one. I read the Mark Wade one. I read the John Byrne one. I read the lean Kirby stuff in full. Like, yeah. That seems like really like all the really obvious stuff that anyone that wants to know the fantastic forward read but in an age where like actors and filmmakers are told actively like discouraged from reading comics yeah i'll take it <laughs> so the final question that we have is from Corey jackson one of my longtime patrons thank you Corey. um asks which writers or artists would be kind of like your dream to work on the fantastic four comic that haven't worked on it before Corey's pick is tom king Ooh. That's a hot take. Ooh. I I love Tom King. Tom King's one of my favorite writers. Yeah. I I outside of maybe two books slash runs, I think everything Tom's done is at least like an eight, nine out of ten. I do yeah. not want him touching the Fantastic Four. If I know he was, what he'll do to read, and I don't yeah. want it. I, I agree with you there. I think if he was to write a Fantastic Four adjacent book, I think he could do a very good Ben Grimm. Um, yeah. But I also don't think I'd want Fantastic uh, Four Tom King. But... Yeah, it's like, I, I, a lot of people use this as a negative, and I don't mean it that way. Tom has a very kind of particular kind of protagonist he likes to write. Yeah. And I think that, like, in stuff like Mr. Miracle and Vision and, like, Rorschach, those kind of characters work really well. And even his yeah. Batman run, which I, I know gets a lot of hate, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in it. Right. That kind of approach to a protagonist works. And he has he has switched it up. I remember being so like shockingly surprised by how he handled Superman and Up in the Sky, and how he yeah. didn't try and like. There's a quote from him that I think I included in the video on that book where he was like, instead of trying to like bring Superman down to me, I tried to put myself in his level. Yes. So yeah. he had a really. And I, and I remember like being terrified when that book was coming out, being like, Tom King doing Superman feels like such an odd fit, and then it ended up being a terrific book. Yeah, but he could, but like. 
most of the Tom King stuff, and I, again, I think is really, really great. He's one of my favorite yeah. writers. I don't know if it's not. It's not a. If I was an editor, it's not a kind of writer I'd put on that book. No. I think that Tom could kind of do good stuff elsewhere, and I'm a little scared about what he'd do to read. To be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I, I agree with you. I also I don't love that his go to for making women strong characters, making them loud and cursing a lot. Like that's a trope I'm catching from him a lot. Love Tom. You know, yeah, we're fools on Twitter. We're besties. It is what it is, you know. <laughs> but um, I do <laughs> think that's my one critique is that like Supergirl, uh, Kara isn't someone or Kara, depending on how you want to pronounce it. She's not someone that I think cusses a lot. I mean, She's it works in the context person. of that book. But yeah, yeah. But that's my thing is that like that's what he does for all of his stories really like every time there's a strong female character she's gonna curse right and that's something yeah. that, like you could show she's strong it's also i'm one to judge in the book that i'm writing i'm writing with dallas i have a female character who's <laughs> she curses and i think it's so fun um <laughs> but i don't do that for every female character yeah so and like that's not like so yeah. that's just like a small critique. I don't think it, it doesn't detract from his writing. His prose work is fantastic, but it's just something I know from his books a lot. Um, so because of that, I, also we're not here to talk shit about Tom King. Uh, no, no, no. And again, story, I, but, uh, I am a Tom, I have like got myself in trouble on twitter.com defending Tom King. Yeah. I have had angry <laughs> commenters on YouTube telling me that I'm a hack for liking Tom King. <laughs> this is not an anti Tom King podcast. But, no. But just for this one book, um, I think a fun option. The problem is that the Fantastic Four kind of need like very, very intelligent writers like Jonathan Hickman and Ryan North and Mark Wade. Um, I don't not, again, I'm not like trying to insult anybody, but I don't, when I think of Mark Wade, I don't think like he's this high, uh, bigger no. picture, smart guy, which makes me also think that you don't have to be a Ryan North or Jonathan Hickman to write these books. And because of that, I think an interesting choice would be Kelly Thompson. Uh, I think Kelly yeah. Thompson's a very fun and creative writer, especially when she's allowed to do what she wants. Like with Captain Marvel, her last the last run on Captain Marvel before Alyssa Wong, the GOAT, uh, took over, uh, Kelly Thompson wasn't allowed to do a lot of stuff she wanted to do with it. And I also got that sense from West Coast Avengers that it didn't go the exact route. And it got canceled super early for no reason, before trades even got announced. So um, I think Kelly Thompson, when she's allowed to cook, could be very, very interesting. And I haven't read her indie work like The Cull or Black Cloak yet. But from what I've heard, they're very good. So I think her or another hot take would be G. Willow Wilson. I think they could do like Ooh. very interesting takes on the characters while I focusing like a lot on their characterization. Um, and I think Kelly Thompson could get very silly with it. And that's what Fantastic Four needs all the time. So Kelly Thompson would be yeah. my top choice for uh, for art. Um I don't think I have anyone in particular uh, in mind. I love Ivan Capello right now on it. I think a mm. fun choice would be from DC's side of things, stealing Dan Mora or Jorge Jimenez. Yeah. Or, oh my God, Gary Smallwood would be very fun. Mm. So there's a yeah. lot of people on DC, I think, working right now who I would love to just rip from DC and throw at a Marvel project. I think in terms of artists, like, yeah. Well, Peter Gleason, like, what's he up to? Marvel owns him. He doesn't do anything. I like Gleason a lot. Yeah. I think, yeah, in terms of artists, like there's all the obvious ones like Dan, Ma Dan Mora, Mikel Yannin, yeah. uh, Pepe Larraz. Like they are all on a level on themselves at the moment. Yeah. I think in terms of writers, I think like, because I, I kind of thought it out of, in the same sense, you like who does like these big high concept fantastical 
lots of lore and mythology. And I came yeah. to names like Al Ewing, um, mm. kind of ultimate Al Ewing. You could apply that kind of approach. I yeah. Think hearing has a good sense of like mythology and like concepts. Oh, yeah. Um, I met Kieran, I didn't interview him at the con that I went to, but I did get to meet and chat with Kieran Gillen. Ooh. And my big take meeting him is I think he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. Oh, yeah. He's very We chatted for like 20 minutes. Yeah. And I came with, I think you are one of the cleverest people working in comics. Like, you just get it. <laughs> with some of my friends, I jokingly call Kieran Gillen discount Neil Gaiman, but that's a compliment because Neil Gaiman, I think, is a genius. And I think Kieran Gillen is also incredibly like die and eternals alone should put them on a list of something because those are fantastically if smart and other books. what's up you can make me care about the eternals in a comic book yeah. <laughs> <laughs> soul, even really couldn't do that <laughs> and then the other name i came up with i don't know if this is a rogue shout or not hmm. if it's super obvious or whether it's a stupid idea but the other name that came to me was zadarsky no, that's a good idea. He wrote that and, before, that's why. I know he did the two-in-one book. Yeah. And then, like, the thing that made me think... He also did Zdarsky, the Fantastic Four X-Men book, right? That's right. Yeah. So he has kind of dabbled with those characters. But the thing that made me think Zdarsky is recently reading uh, Public Domain. Mm. And, like, okay. how strong the kind of family dynamic in that series is. Yeah. And, like, I've read loads of Chip's works. I think Chip is, like, a terrific writer. Oh, yeah, he's very good. But that kind of, like, reading that series and knowing kind of what he's pulling from the stories of Bill Finger and Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby and all of these creators and, like, how both how clever it is in, like, a metatextual way but also just how sincere and earnest it is as the story of this family coming together yeah, and persevering. And if that's not the Fantastic Four, I don't know what is. <laughs> and so it's, like, I'm less interested in, like, chips like mainstream works in that sense and more just kind of like if he could do the family stuff and the characters and making me care about this group of people as yeah. well as he did in like six issues of public domain on a fantastic four run i think that could be an all-timer yeah i think chip's a fantastic pull i think he's also one of those writers that uh it has a very distinct voice sometimes but then also will every once in a while just go like all right adventures twilight daredevil and you're like oh this is yeah. like not what i expected from you Right. Yeah, Twilight feels like such an unchipped book. Yeah. I can't work out who it feels like. But it doesn't feel like, yeah. if, like if, if it chip name wasn't on it, I don't know who I'd think it's by. I'll probably say the same thing. I have no idea. But I love it. I think it's really good. And he's uh like I said, he's a very yeah. good creator. Yeah. So yeah, so there there are guesses, but not Tom King. Tom King can go and write uh Cyclops. Yeah. Oh, Cyclops. That'd be interesting. Huh. Imagine, imagine the misery. The era where he uh, abandoned his wife and child. Oh, no. <laughs> or when he cheated imagine, on his Imagine the misery Tom could bring into the earth if he does oh like a God. Professor X book. Oh, my God. Imagine how depressing that's going to be. An X-Men, like a Professor X book set like back when he was worse. <laughs> yeah. Bad now. And that's like, and worse for Chuck is bad. Yeah. Oh, Chuck's my God. Chuck's a bad dude. That'd be fun. Um, like that. Yeah, so kind of I'm trying to think if I have any other writers. Okay, last one. Oh, Siceberg. Um, yes, yes. This is half of a jokey one and half a serious one. Grant never did an ongoing. They just did one, two, three, four. 
the Marvel Knights Fantastic Four book, which is a weird book, and I kind of like it. I remember reading it. I don't know how I feel about it. It's an odd. I've not covered it on the channel just because of how peculiar it is. Yeah. In that there's a massive incest subplot. Oh. Not subplot, but there's like some subtext there of like Grant wanting to like examine the Fantastic Four through like a Freudian lens. Hmm. Which is weird. And Namor shows up in it. And Namor's good. But the Read and Doom sections of that book is genuinely fantastic. Okay. Hmm. That's and weird. it's drawn by blanking on the artist's name who did the century with um Paul Jenkins. Oh. Jay Lee. Drawn by Jay Lee. Oh yeah, Jay Lee. Jay Lee also another early two thousands Marvel Knights. Wasn't there like a Namor book also drawn by Jay Lee? Maybe. He did a lot of those kind of characters. He did Inhumans, he did Century. That also might have just been a cover, but there was like this Namor uh I think it was a Marvel Knights book where he was like, it's like a horror villain. He's like a slasher villain. Remember that? Vaguely. Huh. I'll look it does sound fun though. Um, but yeah, I, I've kind of been like slightly fascinated recently by trying to figure out. So before it went to like the duo of Bendis and Mark Miller, Grant yeah. was going to do Ultimate Fantastic Four, like when that universe was first yeah, launching. Yeah, I remember that. And then like that was around the same time they were doing New X-Men and Marvel Boy, and then, long story short, Grant had a big falling out with Bill Jemis. Grant left Marvel, went back to DC exclusively, and then worked at DC up until, like, two years ago. <laughs> but originally, they were going to do Ultimate Fantastic Four. Um, yeah. And Grant's been very coy over the past 20 years on what their pitch would have been. And if I just keep sending questions in on Xanadum, eventually they will answer me. I'm trying. <laughs> but the only comment Grant's ever said about it was that I wanted to do the whole celebrity superhero things. Oh. But in the style of the Osbournes. Oh. And I hate that. And yeah. I'm also kind of fascinated by that. Uh, hmm. I guess we would have to hear them out because I don't know if I like the idea of that either. Now, on paper, I think that's bad. But yeah. it's also, but I'm also like, Grant's clever enough that there's there's something more there. Yeah. One day I'm going to get to the bottom of like what that pitch actually was. It couldn't have been worse than what we got. I mean, I don't want to be a hater or anything, but Ultimate Fantastic Four wasn't amazing. The first one yeah, was fantastic. I, I covered it on the channel a while ago, and my big consensus is that like that book suffers by not having a creative vision. Yes. Where yeah, like Ultimate Spider-Man works because it's all Bendis. Yeah, Ultimate, even as much as I don't like it personally, succeeds because it's all Miller. Yeah, like Bendis and Miller together, they have very little in common. Also, Bendis drops the book almost immediately. Like he does. They both do, they both do the first six issues. Then yeah. it goes to Warren Ellis. Then it goes to other people. Miller comes back. Like every six or eight issues, different writers are taken over, yeah. and I think that's what kills that book. Which is weird because it worked enough for Ultimate X-Men. I don't love Ultimate X-Men, but Ultimate X-Men was written by Millar specifically for a few volumes. And then it got handed off to someone else for a few volumes and someone else. Then Bendis wrote it for a few volumes and then so on and so on. So yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily it. care for Ultimate X-Men, to be completely yeah. honest. Fair. Yeah. It's not amazing. <laughs> but it has but my yeah. favorite uh, one-shot X-Men story of all time. So I know exactly what you're going to say. Yup. Issue 43. Yeah, New Mutants Part <laughs> Even I can't hate that. No, it's too good. And that's, um, that's, so that's yeah. the biggest issue. 
the boat, the goat. Yep, Bendis. Bendis in like the early to mid two thousands was just on another level. Mm. That's one thing to take away from this podcast about the Fantastic Four. It's that <laughs> Bendis's run on <laughs> Ultimate X Men was pretty good. <laughs> Um, and, and you know what? On that bombshell, that'll do us for today. Um, thank you if you've made it this far into the podcast. Firstly, I'm terribly sorry. And secondly, thank you for listening and thank you for supporting me either on Patreon or on the channel memberships. Next month um, for March's episode, we are going to be talking more about Grant Morrison. Shock. Whoa. Because uh, we'll be jumping back onto the video that you will have watched by now, which is all about Superman and the authority and why actually... This book rules and might be one of Grant Morrison's most personal and introspective comic books they've ever written. And how 5G almost killed DC Comics and Dan DiDio was (laughs) was rightfully shunned from DC for what he tried to do. It's it's, I'm almost finished editing the video. It should be out next week at the time of recording. Uh, And so next month's episode, we'll be diving into that. And also the long history of Grant's Superman looking at action comics an all-star and thinking about what does grant try and say across decades of superman so send your questions in for that i'm very excited to chat about that if there's two things i love talking about for hours on end it's grant morrison and superman <laughs> uh, evan thank you for joining me for this podcast though i appreciate you coming on why don't you let the fine people know where they can find you of course if you like my voice you can find me on the twitter at uh at evan reads comics i'm also on tiktok and sometimes i do a funny video at evan von doom um, and if you like my voice and you also know Dallas from uh, the Comic Collective, you can follow our podcast, What's Next, the Comic Book Podcast, where every month we go over the monthly solicitations as they drop for different publishers, including Marvel, DC, Image, Boom, IDW, and sometimes Dark Horse. And sometimes. I think that's it. <laughs> Dallas has been on this podcast before, uh, on the Patreon podcast, and one commenter said that Dallas was Earth 2 Owen. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. Oh, my God. Also, I'm sorry, everybody. Also, I have a, a short uh, story coming out in the uh, <laughs> to, uh, the Cloakroom comic, which is on Kickstarter right now. And you can support that's right. it. Yeah, please, please plug it away. Yeah, we're funded uh, fully, but you can still support and still get a print copy. Or if you just want to throw money our way, you know, there's always money to recoup from things like this. So and our editors have been fantastic the whole time and they deserve all the praise. And my artist Benji is fantastic and they're killing it. Um, and they also have a short uh, film dropping, uh, I think tomorrow. So I'll re- be retweeting that. So be on the lookout for that as well. Awesome. I will leave links in the description to all of Evan's socials and to the Kickstarter. Thank so you. Please do go and check those out and support him and all of his wonderful works. Thank you for supporting me as well. Thank you for that. Thank you for listening to this podcast and I will see you next month. But until then, Take care and keep reading.